welcome to the second episode of Liars and a Gentleman podcast. We're looking forward to having a good time on the show. We're going to talk about the lack of a Kentucky Derby. Probably also going to talk about the last dance a little bit. Tonight we've got myself, Brady. We've got Brian. We've got Curtis. We've got C. Breezy. We've got Terrace. And we've got Joe. So to kick this thing off, I think the first topic we're going to take is the lack of a Derby. And I want to start off by just saying I, I spent a a few weeks overseas in Ireland at the end of college taking a class. And the only thing Kentucky people are known for is really two things, bourbon and horse racing. And the lack of a Kentucky Derby, which why it doesn't seem like a big deal to people not from Kentucky, um, it's kind of, I think, cast a pall over our state just because it should have been today. It wasn't today. And today was a beautiful day. Um, it also brings a lot of money into the state. So uh, what do you guys think about that? Somebody was asking me the other day, like, why is it a big deal that the Derby doesn't happen? Two things synonymous with the Derby. Hats for the ladies and mint juleps. And, and they're both great things, but it's the one time in our state that the whole world, really, sports world, is focused on Kentucky. There's not another time in, in the nation that one state is the focal point of all sports. It's just really evident based on, you know, the amount of celebrities and, and just personalities that come to the state of Kentucky for the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it's called Millionaire's Row for a reason. We all have a friend of ours that is an air traffic controller up in Louisville, and he says that on that day, it is absolutely insane. They start booking flight reservations essentially in, into Louisville, both of their airports, weeks and weeks in advance just so all these people can come in for the derby my wife and i went to the oaks which is not even the derby the day before the derby and it was unbelievable how many people were there and just how big of a deal it was all the hotels were sold out i mean it's just a huge deal and it's just not here um hopefully it happens in september when they rescheduled it hopefully you're right joe that it does go off without a hitch where they rescheduled it for september and we're able to do it but I've heard stories of, of companies that, are, that, you know, that have year-round tickets for Churchill, right? And it, so it's for all the races. It's, it's kind of, you know, they have a box or whatever. And they'll bring in customers and clients from all over the country. And the hotel prices, A, they make you book them at least a five-night minimum for that weekend. So you have to book them uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. The prices for those, uh, just for a standard room, like a Marriott, is like 1500 to $2,000 a night because they can command it. And that's how many people want to come into Louisville and, and experience the Derby. I mean, it, it's, it blows my mind, but that's what they've learned that they can command. So. Hey, so Terrace, I'm actually looking looking as we speak about that. Last year, three hundred and fifty four million dollars in economic impact for Louisville. Wow, unreal! One, one big day, you can take two or three days, maybe people hanging around, but one day. I had a guy I used to coach with, and his um, he had a, a child who worked in Churchill Downs in the uh, PR kind of area, and. Part of her job was on Derby weekend was to help coordinate the celebrity arrivals to the Derby. He told me Hugh Hefner had a bigger security presence than the president coming into the <laughs> Derby. Justin Timberlake was there, Grant, Tom Brady. It's a who's who, and they're all in our state. I think it's cool, too. The, the horses, it's almost like, you know, they're, they're athletes, no doubt, and how – 
human athletes have just gotten bigger, stronger, faster over time. Same, same for horses. I mean, you have legendary horses. I'm curious how Secretariat would fare against some of the modern-day horses today. I don't know if you saw it or not, but they, they did do a, a virtual running of all the Triple Crown runners today for the Derby, a virtual Derby. I heard and, about uh, it. Yeah, well, Secretariat remains unbeaten. Uh, that go. horse is a beast. It was the morning favorite when he went off, obviously. Uh, I was going to have some really good hogs. But uh, I don't know anybody that would be willing to bet against that horse. Yeah, no doubt. I think he was, I think he was 72 this morning. Hands down, the most dominant athlete in his sport. I know we're going to get into the last dance later. When you go a dominant athlete in a sport, secretariat's got to be the best. And that brings up an interesting point. Like, you talk about his times. Like, his derby time wasn't – I mean, it was the fastest for sure. But the horse that's finished second to him also has the second fastest derby time. So, you know, you run in a different year. Do we have a different discussion? Horse racing is just such an interesting sport because it's all about age or the Triple Crown. Right. I agree with you, Brian, uh, to an extent. But the second – you know, talking about the second fastest time in the, in the Derby is actually came in runner-up to Secretariat. That doesn't count. Second fastest is not the winner. And so what it comes down to is did you perform when the spotlight was on? And that's what Secretariat did every single time. And that's what makes the GOAT. And that's exactly what Jordan did. That is why he is the greatest. They perform when the spotlight was on. I think Ricky Bobby said it best when he said, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> Agree 100%. Drive it like you stole it. Uh, it's funny that you bring up, I mean, just the, the GOATs, right? And here we are again. It's another night. We're all joined together. We've all watched episode three and four of The Last Dance. Mm -hmm. They've got us captivated, right? It's a it's a captive audience. We're going to talk about Jordan again. How could we not? What do you guys think about three and four? Dennis Rodman is wild. I mean, who takes a vacation in the middle of a season? Like, just is ready just to chill and goes to Vegas and, what, do you get married to Carmen Electra or something? I think they just hung out for a little while. I mean, can you imagine someone now in the middle of a season saying, hey, I need, I need a couple of days off? Do you, like, realize how persecuted that person would be by the media? Um, I think it's called load management these days. Yes, Kawhi. Kawhi's got that. Okay, yeah. Oh, Kawhi's not the only one. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Carmen Electra, whoa. And and she still she still has it. She's aged very well. I mean, she was throwing smoke Saturday Sunday night. Yeah, yeah. And that that whole thing where like she said, you know. You know, there's a knock on the door. Next thing I know, Jordan Jordan's walking in the room, and she's ducking behind the couch. <laughs> that would be – I remember the last person. And I don't know that they, they said this, but there was, there was something that I read, and I don't remember where I read it at. But they said that Jordan actually grabbed Robin by his nose ring and pulled him out of the room to go to practice. I don't doubt it. With the way that they portrayed Jordan of a competitor, of a – a person who wants to win. I don't doubt it. Scottie Pippen having a migraine, it was a, it was a sign of weakness for Jordan. Questionable whether he had a migraine. I mean, you, you don't think that he really had a migraine? You don't think he had a migraine? Oh, I didn't say he didn't have a migraine. I said it was in question. In Jordan's mind, maybe. But I think Scottie Pippen had a migraine. 
I was like six when that happened. <laughs> we all find it kind of interesting. You want to question whether or not the guy had a stinking migraine. Like, I said the way it was portrayed, we don't know whether he had a migraine or not. Guys, I think we have somebody here that might defend Jordan in anything that happened. Some of those truthers or something. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If Jordan didn't believe in dinosaurs, I don't think Brian would believe in dinosaurs. If he was an Earth's flat guy, I think we'd be talking about how the Earth's flat right now. I mean, I think that's I think, what we'd have to be arguing with Brian, that the Earth is not I've flat, Brian. I've seen the clips. What about Rodman? I know everybody knows he is wild. I mean, but the level of detail he spent studying people shooting the spin, like Larry Bird had this kind of spin. I mean, that's pretty wild how much his craft, he worked on his craft on that part of it. Yeah. I don't believe that part one bit. I think he's just crazy now. No, yeah. no, I believe it. You, you better have some advanced education in mathematics to be able to understand what Dennis Rodman was saying. I think the only person that might have known what he was talking about was Bryson DeChambeau and also anyone else that's been hired at NASA. He was talking about the spin off the ball. Is that what Jordan thought? <laughs> oh, certain people shoot in a way that if they shoot from the right wing, 70% of the time, then their shots go off a certain direction so many percents of the time. Just analytical. In the mid-90s, that was probably absurd. But in today's sports where we have Moneyball movies being made and we have people breaking down film like you won't believe, there are people who know that this person shoots 80% of their shots from the right side of the floor and 60% of those shots go off the opposite side of the floor, then that's what he's talking about. He was just ahead of the game. This time we're going to go into our interview for the second episode. Today's guest on Liars and a Gentleman is a member of the University of Georgia's strength and conditioning staff. He joined the Bulldogs in January 2018 as an assistant director. Ben's journey to Athens started in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where he's a multi-sport athlete at Greenwood High School and most recently an inductee to the Greenwood High School Athletic Hall of Fame. He then walked on to Western Kentucky Hilltoppers football team. He'd go on to earn a scholarship and become a two-year starter. From there, he went to Nashville, Tennessee as a facility coordinator and strength and conditioning coach at D1 Athletics. During his time there, he worked with many notable NFL football players, from there, Ben completed an internship at the University of Alabama football program, as well as working with the volleyball, tennis, and rowing teams. Ben went to Hattiesburg, Mississippi at Southern Miss as an assistant strength and conditioning coach for multiple programs. He's also spent time at Georgia Tech, McNeese State, and Gardner-Webb, where he was responsible for the training of all 21 Division I programs. The Liars and Gentlemen podcast are very proud to introduce Ben Souders on our podcast this week. Appreciate y'all uh, inviting me. Honored to be on. So I think first thing, Ben, let's start off. We know you. We go way back with you. First topic we want to talk about is, well, we'll just get right into it. Congratulations on being inducted into the 2017 Greenwood High School Hall of Fame. To be put up there with Greenwood alumni like Major League Baseball player Corey Hart, professional basketball player Damian Fishback has to be a true honor. What experiences at Greenwood helped you in the role you are in today? I, I would say, you know, surrounding myself with great people. I think it all starts with that. I've been very fortunate to, to be, be around a lot of good people that have helped me get where I'm at. I'd be remorsed to say that I did it by myself because absolutely that, that would be false. I think the quality of people that I had in my circle 
you know, with friends and families and teachers, you know, everyone pushed me to, to try to reach my goal. And I would say it starts with that, followed by my coaches and having the ability to push me, but put me in positions to be successful. For anyone that doesn't know Ben, he is the coach at Georgia Sidelines. It looks kind of like the hulked out mountain man with a beard. Ben, do you have any plans to shave the beard anytime soon? No. Well, I'd say groom. Groom would probably be the best word to use. I plan to keep it groomed better this year. Still debating. I might let the hair go a little bit longer, though, on top. We'll see what this year has in store. Speaking of those sidelines, on Saturdays, we see you providing some energy and enthusiasm over there. You know, on game day, as a strength and conditioning coach, what what kind of is your role? Our, Our biggest role is from a mental aspect, making sure our guys are ready mentally and locked in. You know, they're so much going on during game day. Guys are obviously nervous about the game, thinking about their their roles and responsibility. They're thinking if their parents make it to the game, did their girlfriend make it to the game? So there's there's so much that goes in, and and I would say one of the biggest things is just helping our guys get to a mental stage where they can be successful. On top of that, we help our nutrition staff here, hydration, pregame nutrition, really pushing that, and fluids, mobility and flexibility before the game, uh, making sure guys are all good and warmed up. Game day's a little bit different for anybody that's kind of been around a program. You know, certain guys like certain things. They kind of like to do their own little thing, but they also kind of want their guy stretching. So depending on who you are, you know, you can have several guys that want you to stretch them and, and run through pregame warm-up routines. We do, you know, some soft tissue stuff. It's just different things to help them probably more from a mental stage to get ready more than anything. A lot of our, our work, as you guys I'm sure understand, is, is kind of behind the curtains. Saturday, we kind of just step back and let them have the platform. This is what they've worked for and really just there to, to be there um, in whatever capacity they need. And then lastly, as I'm sure, you know, what strength coaches have gotten famous for on game day is, is get back coaches. So biggest thing is is obviously keeping our guys back. You know, every every one of our guys here is competitive. So obviously they want to get on the field. And some of our coaches still think they're players and they want to get on the field. So having the ability to get them back and stay back where the refs can do their job is a, obviously another crucial piece to to the puzzle as well. Some of y'all look like players still. We've seen some Twitter videos of you, man. Plotting 400 recently and, you know, putting your PRs up. I got to ask, how you, how did you make it look like it had 400 pounds on there? Because I, I don't believe that that was true. Oh, it's definitely not. I mean, camera can do a lot of editing these days, you know. I mean, it's the technology that, that uh, exists now is phenomenal. So being able to use that really well helps. <laughs> Last week in the draft, seven players got drafted that was the fourth highest college this year you had two first rounders a player in every round outside the third and several undrafted i'm most excited for rodrigo blankenship taking over for the legend adam Terry in indianapolis so what does that mean to your all's program it's huge you know especially you're in a world now where everything is revolved around recruiting you know everybody and every kid when they come in has dreams and aspirations of of going to the nfl especially at this level to be able to produce that fruit and be able to put it out there to show you know our guys can come in here and compete for championships but they're also going to get great opportunities to play at the highest level certainly helps does more for us from a recruiting standpoint it's phenomenal and those guys deserve it we we put our guys through a lot of intense workouts but i mean they are very driven obviously but they are on time management i mean it's being able to to control your time here because we take so much of it as, you know, really anywhere you'd go in the country, especially at a division one level, it's it's just gonna consume a lot of your time and your life. So to truly have success, you know, you've gotta have sacrifice and and uh discipline to to do the right things so that when that 
opportunity does come that, you know, you can be, be ready for it. You know, a lot of people uh, don't understand, you know, they, they see when they get done playing here as a junior or senior that now it's time to get ready for the combine or it's time to get ready for a pro day, but it's, Essentially, you're getting ready for your pro day and your combine every day you're here. That's an evaluation every day you're here. And so, especially the league we play in in the SEC, every Saturday is an evaluation. What you put on film is going to tell a lot about who you are. You're going to get opportunities here. You, you got to make the most of them. I've seen you do great things at mid-major programs, and now you're doing great things at Blue Bud like Georgia. What's the big difference between being a strength coach at a mid-major versus where you're at now. They make me look better. <laughs> no, really a lot of it is. It goes back to recruiting. Coach Smart and, and his staff and our coaches do an unbelievable job of, of recruiting really good, talented kids. And as we all know, you can have a great game plan, but you have to have really good athletes to execute that plan. From a physical standpoint, obviously they come in a little more gifted, size-wise, strength-wise. Not to say that, you know, at, at the lower levels, guys don't come in ready by any means. But athletically, they're just a little bit more, you know, ahead of the game. I mean, they just, they are. They move better. That's one biggest thing that I've, I've noticed. For example, Isaiah Wilson that just got drafted by the Titans. The kid was a project when he came in, you know, 360, 370-some pounds and loses all that weight. But even at that weight, he could still take four or 500 pounds and squat with his hamstrings t touching his calves. I mean, six inches, eight inches from the floor. Guy's six, seven. So ability to squat with that much weight, that low and that easy, and to drive up that quick with it is, I'm, I'm getting at it, it's just the ability to move. I would say that's the biggest thing. A, a lot of these kids have had opportunities to advance themselves physically because they've, they've had access to higher training at, at some point, especially kids that come from Academies, they have really, really good strength programs. So they're they're accelerated in the game ahead of others. One part of our, uh, I'm going to call it childhood at this point, at our age, that I think uh, you were involved in that shaped all of our lives. And it's this one special white Honda Accord. I think, what do we call that? Was it White Lightning, maybe? White Lightning, Herald the Honda. It had a, it had a bunch of different names. Give us a little bit about how that shaped you as a person coming through high school, moving on into college? <laughs> uh, my car? Well, you know, first off, it had a lot of character. It had a lot of miles on it. It held it all together, kept running. was like everybody else. Your, your first car is always going to mean something to you. A lot of people in and out of that car and a lot of good stories in that car. And there's some places that car probably shouldn't have been. And, you know, there's some places that it should have been. It'll always be special, man. Hey, it had a sunroof, too. I don't know if, if – if, uh, if you said that, but, you know, sunroof was critical back in the day. You know, it, add, it added extra flair to it. Absolutely. Yeah, we Absolutely. couldn't all have Jeeps. Yeah, I know. Hey, more importantly, was there anybody in any position in that car where they shouldn't have been? I know the car was in places it shouldn't have been, but did you ever, like, stuff anybody in the trunk or was anybody ever hanging out of the sunroof? I mean, it seems like we're, we're maybe missing a couple of fine details here as to, to what Chris is alluding to. But, no, not that I, not that I remember. I mean – I think maybe Dustin Turner hung out the sunroof probably a few times. You know, that's a norm for him, so. Do any of your teams know how good at punting you are, man? Because, I mean, you could bomb it back in the day. It's funny you say that because when I got here to Georgia, when I got here to Georgia, you know, you, you try to build relationships with everybody and you, you try to make connections, you know, because that's, to me, that's what it's all about. Got to know, you know, Rodrigo really, really well and our specialists and, Nick Moore was our long snapper at the time who uh, 
has kind of bounced uh, in and out of uh, many camps and XF, the XFL. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, back in the day, I could kick a little bit too. You know, they're like, oh no, all you do is weight lift. That's all you. That's all you. All you do is lift weights. So I, I, I get the ball. And I kick it, and it's, it's, it's probably 35, 38 yards. Not bad, not average average hang time. Not, I mean, not great. As soon as I kicked it, I thought I pulled my hamstring. <laughs> um, you know, I, I shook it out, and I was like, man, I can't go out on this note. I can't go out on this note. So I got the second one, and then the second one I kicked, and it was probably about 40, 42. They were like, oh, okay, okay. And it, and it turned over, you know, but it didn't. I didn't get – the height that I wanted as far as, you know, getting the turnover. So the third one I kicked, I shanked. So they're saying, well, you're one for three. You wouldn't be able to kick in the game. So I did one more, and I think I hit it for about 45, pretty good, you know, uh, turnover. And I just kind of walked off, said, that's it, boys. And so left it at that. I like it, man. I remember how good of a punter you were. It just started in practice one day. You just bunted and punted one. They were like, mm-hmm. nope, we found a punter. <laughs> Here he is. Yeah. Terrence, you have a pretty good kicking story too, right? I've got a couple horrendous kicking stories that we probably are not – not. yeah, they don't They don't belong in this in this interview. <laughs> I don't believe so. <laughs> no, that's, that's – I appreciate you I bringing that back up. Yeah. I'm probably going to have nightmares tonight just thinking about it. Man. <laughs> Tell us about the player the, the Titans drafted, if you will. You've already touched on him some uh, with his ability to move, I think, is what you mentioned earlier, and lift the weights that he did the way that he did. But um, what, what kind of player did the Titans draft? Titans drafted a very raw player, and I, and I don't mean raw as in he's not, he's not developed. He is completely developed. Um, you know, he was coached by Coach Pittman, who's arguably one of the best offensive lineman coaches to ever coach. He was our O-line coach here for several years. Has a reach on him. Runs exceptionally well, kind of deceivingly well. Works hard. Is a very likable guy. Everybody enjoys being around him. You know, he's from New York. So, you know, he's kind of got a northern vibe to him. But the biggest thing with him coming to us is he wanted to get in the south. Tired of the, the cold weather and wanted to get down south. And athletic-wise, I mean, the, the sky's the limit for him. I mean, only person's gonna hold back Isaiah is, is Isaiah. I mean, very talented, very strong. I mean, I think he's you know a uh, 400 pound bencher right there over five on the squat. I mean, he just he's very very ex- explosive. It's kind of funny because you say you know he's 20 21 22 years old and he's still growing his body, but he still is. He is just a large human being, extremely large. With him him having the ability to focus on just football only. After his first two years in the league, I mean, you're probably talking about a six to eight year pro bowler, somebody that plays in the league anywhere from 10 to 15 years. If As long as he does, his, you know, the little things on taking care of his body and continue to train hard like he did, uh, stuff like that. That's good news for Titans fans, then. Absolutely. You couldn't ask for anything more than that. Let's keep our fingers crossed. That sounds like he's coming in uh, yeah. a week one starter right there is what it sounds like. Yeah, he'll compete right off the bat. You know, I think they drafted him in, in knowing that this guy is ready to go. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I think numbers don't lie, right? 15 out of 32 players drafted in the first round. I mean, he's going against the best talent every weekend. We've played LSU. We've played Alabama. We've played Florida. We've played South Carolina, who got uh, their defensive tackle, got drafted 14th overall. We play against those type of caliber athletes every Saturday. So, he's prepared. Hey, so, Ben, Sanford Stadium, obviously – unreal place to, to call home. But outside of that, you were talking about 
playing against all these guys, LSU, Alabama, Florida. What is the best atmosphere in the SEC outside of Sanford Stadium? LSU is certainly probably up there. You know, they've been tailgating and drinking since like 5 a.m. They wait all week for tailgate, which most people do in the South. So, you know, very rowdy. Unfortunately, I haven't played there or coached there at a night game, and I heard nights even even better. But we played a 3.30 game two years ago, and it was – we had two teams in the top ten. I mean, it was rock. Another place at night that gets rocking, too, is, is Auburn. We played Auburn this past year. Needed to win that game to clinch the SEC East – championship we were up 21-7 I think they had just scored right at the beginning of the fourth so it was 21-14 and it I'm talking about it went to a whole nother level LSU Auburn's been really good Tennessee was good too but I mean there ain't nothing like Sam the common Commonwealth. Kentucky was good, too. Two years ago, we played up there. Kentucky was really good, too. They're loud, considering the fact that they're 65, 70,000, 70, you know, where most of these other places are pushing 90, 95, or 100. I got to go back. Did you say Tennessee? I wasn't aware they still had a football team. Tennessee was – they were rocking. They scored. We got up 7 nothing, and then they actually drove down and – Hit a deep pass on us, tied it up 7-7. Seven seven. You would have thought freaking they won the Super Bowl. I mean, that place was – Rocky Top was rocking then, and then our defense came out and Fromm started moving the ball, and then it was over. Is that song as annoying in person as it is on TV? <laughs> I mean, it definitely can get old if you hear it a lot. When we were preparing for them, we played it in the weight room. We played it on practice fields. I mean, it gets to a point where you've heard it enough. So the last thing you want to do is let them play it live in front of you. Hey, real quick, I wanted to ask here about, you know, how you all are dealing with this COVID shutdown situation. I've been reading about another strength coach, I think, wrote like 105 different strength training programs and emailed them to their players because they can't be with them. Are y'all doing similar things? I mean, how are y'all dealing with all this? We're taking it week by week. I mean, really day by day. But, you know, we'll send, we'll send workouts to and, and training plans to all our all our players. We, we have a couple different phases of workouts we send that we send out. A lot of them really have – are based off what equipment you have available, whether it be you don't have anything, so you're doing body weight or, you know, it's modified because you may have some dumbbells or a kettlebell or some bands or something like that. And then being creative and, and, and trying to find different ways to help them continue to push from a physical standpoint during this time is, is, is critical. And just being consistent, that's one of the biggest things that, that we're preaching to our guys is, when this ends, which it will end at, at some point, when we when it will end, we don't know. But uh, we can't control that. But we can't control how we stay prepared. If you stay ready, you don't ever have to get ready. And so that's that's really what we're telling our guys. We're on one mission. You know, our goal is to win a national championship, and and for us to do that, guys have to do their parts away from from us as it is right now. It is. I mean, it is what it is. So just a unique time. But you know, staying in touch with them and you know, Zoom calls with them. and I think when I saw on Twitter, the head coach, Sinclair maybe, the strength coach, is posting workouts online for the public to do. I mean, y'all are have a big social media, I guess, as far as promoting that. Yeah, he, he's done a really good job of pro- promoting physical activity and just getting out, you know, during these, these times because obviously a lot of people aren't working. He's been posting uh, several workouts or actually a workout for every day for the general uh, population uh, that everybody can do. That's not that's pretty cool. too difficult for people of all ages, but uh, 
you know, just trying to keep the buzz around and, and, and promote wellness because a lot of us are, are stuck in our houses. So being able to get outside and move and can obviously relieve stress, but, but help us all in, in these times that we're going through. Is there going to be a football season this year, Ben? I'm optimistic and I'm going to say yes. I do. I do think that there'll be one win. I don't know. I'm optimistic. I really do think there, there will be one. I've heard, you know, numerous scenarios and situations, which I'm sure all of us have. So being able to somehow make this work, as long as we can keep, you know, players and everyone safe. Say we have a season this year. What game do you have circled on the calendar, Ben? Game four. Game four, that is. At Tuscaloosa. All right. Having the opportunity to play them at their place is uh, – Tremendous chore, but it's exciting. But uh, I, I think having the chance to, to play them, knowing that they're still obviously good and everybody wants, everybody wants what, they, what they got, and meaning, you know, multiple championships. Right now, within the last five to seven years, it's, it's, it's them or Clemson. Um, obviously, Georgia wants to, to make uh, our statement and, and show everyone that we're not a uh, one-hit wonder, that we're – you know, we're building our program, and I think that would be a huge staple win for us, especially, and, you know, I'd be reminisced not to say, but, you know, for Coach Smart, to, for him to go back and beat the guy he worked for would obviously be huge for, for him. And I know that that's that's uh, that's a big thing. But, uh, you know, so they beat us in the, the SEC championship my, my first year here at UGA. So getting a little revenge there would be certainly sweet. Yeah, yeah. So, well, um, you've been in sports your whole life. Most of us have played with you from early childhood on. Um, what is your favorite memory in sports? My least favorite memory is when he threw the 56-and-a-half-foot slider in the state semi-sectional game as a wild pitch, and I, I couldn't block it, and I let a run score. That's my least favorite one. I knew that was coming up. That, that's a, <laughs> that, I knew that was coming that, up. That's considered a pass ball, not a wild pitch. No, no, that was – when it doesn't make it to the plate, dude, that, that one's a wild pitch. I'm sorry. Yeah, that one – that was a tough pill to, to, to swallow coming in, and they're expecting you to, to get out of the inning. And not only did you not get out of the inning, you gave up a bunch of runs, so. In all fairness, Ben did come in in the uh, semifinals of the region and just shut him down. So, there was a lot of reason for us to have confidence to put him in the game, but uh, – it's it's a lot to ask of a sophomore kid out there. Put him on the put him on the mound, give him the pill, and say, "Hey, shut this game down." So, but uh, anyway, I just had to drop that little blurb in there. Hey, we had a good run. We did, had, but I had some frosted tips in the hair, so we were good, man. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. So back to it, though. What is your favorite memory? You know, what's the one thing that that you always remember um, as kind of the highlight? Is it is this high school or college or either? Yeah, all, yeah. I mean, since childhood, what's your favorite memory? My favorite memory? Probably two or three that come to mind. First first one that I would say I'll start with college is, other than having the opportunity to play in, you know, against Florida and teams like that, Alabama, Kentucky. Other than that, I think the biggest thing is when our head coach at Western, David Elson at the time, had kind of brought me in and pulled me to the side and told me he was going to, put me on scholarship. So from a collegiate standpoint, uh, was probably my best memory because it's one of those things that it's like everything flashes before your eyes, you know, once, once it, before you blink, I mean, all these pictures and uh, things just rolled through your head because you understood what it took 
to get here. So I wouldn't say it was truly a moment in, in, in college that, that uh, I would say was my most memorable as, as the pose, probably that conversation, just knowing that all the stuff that you, that you did and all the hard work that you put in finally came to light. I mean, to be honest, it was, it was probably uh, most important for me to tell my parents that because uh, my parents always believed in me were always there for me, always supported me in everything I ever did from growing up, you know, playing t-ball to, to obviously at Western. So to be able to call them and tell them that was one of the, I think, one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. High school-wise, I think winning the region, you know, when I was a sophomore was was really, really, I mean, it was just, it was a special run. You know, we didn't have the season that we wanted to, regular season, but, you know, the last four or five games of the season, then we got in district, and then we got in region, we, we just got hot, and it was just a really, really fun time. Still bitter that we didn't win the, the region in my senior year, which that's a whole other story. But uh, I would say that along with, you know, our senior year, you know, everyone took, took a, um, took a beating for so long. So many people before us tried to, try to get it to where it is. And so I think one of the most memorable moments is, is probably, you know, being able to take our team to the playoffs. So I think that, and then from a, uh, <laughs> from a smaller standpoint or from a, from a little, little age standpoint, younger age, I remember uh, in basketball, Warren County Rec League, I was on the Pacers my father was our, was our coach, and uh, I remember we were playing Derek Alfonso and Ben Paris, and they had a great team. We were playing neck and neck for them, and I think they were undefeated. But they were up th- they were up two points with like twelve or thirteen seconds left in the game. Somehow, some way, I got the ball. I shot it top of the key, three point line, banked the sucker in, and we won the game. I'll always remember that. I don't know why. I remember you playing the Spurs or the Pacers. Little Dustin Dustin Turner was like six foot already. And With a full mustache. <laughs> I know that, <laughs> Spurs won it all, my friend. Yeah, wonder who drafted that team. <laughs> Pulfer, what it Pulfer and Turner and uh, Joe, was it you out there too? Joe yep. Turner. That's what I thought. Oh, man. Ben's dad I, taught me into playing was the funny part. Hey, was that a pay for play? Type deal? <laughs> Probably. We don't we don't use those words around here, Ben. We don't you, we don't want to start shining the light on that. <laughs> and I, I was really hoping the ninety six, ninety seven uh Giants uh BG East Little League team might make that list, but uh it didn't. That's all right. We had good times still. We did win the you know state championship in Babe Ruth That's right. at, at 13, 13 That's right. back to back years. Oh um, yeah. That was that was critical. All right, Ben. Podcast is liars and a gentleman. We're obviously the liars, and you be the gentleman tonight. And uh, but we can't let you leave without being one of us. So uh, two truths and a lie, and we'll take our shot at uh, guessing which one's the lie. All right, first one is I played against two Heisman Trophy winners in the same game, or I won the home run derby contest at Georgia Tech staff home run derby or I won the three-point shootout at Southern Miss dang man this two weeks in a row we've had pretty pretty good ones here Uh, I've seen the I've we've played basketball with him um, yeah and we we know the boy can play he can still hoop so I think that's the truth for sure my thoughts on it is uh 
I think he. I think the law is the home run derby. We all hitting from second base? No, we're hitting hitting from home, but we're playing on a softball field. Oh, what okay. time back up? Wait, I'm going oh, three yeah. point contest. He's got a little muscle bound since back in the day, so I don't know his shots as good as he once was. I think he's still got some touch. I'm still going home run derby. So what are we doing? We how many we got? We got one home run derby. We got one. Uh, what'd you say, Terrace? So he's got two Heisman Trophy winners in the same game. Is that what you said? Man, he played yeah, against Western Alabama. Played, Western played Alabama. Back in the day. Back in the day. All right, mm. yeah. Okay, that makes sense because they probably had – which one was that? Was that, uh, was, that, was that back when Ingram was there? Is that, that how we yeah, that old? Prob- yeah, probably Ingram. Because yeah, and... didn't they have two back-to-back years, didn't they? Ingram and um... – It was like Richardson or something? Yeah. Uh, first off, if that's who it was, congratulations on, the, on on having to tackle those two guys and still being alive. <laughs> you know how many tackles you had that game? <laughs> Uh, against Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was six or seven. Any dislocated shoulders or anything like that? Subluxation against Virginia Tech, but not not against Alabama. Uh, that's, that's a good stat, six or seven tackles. I'm pretty sure in the last couple of years, there's some teams that don't have six or seven tackles against Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. So, we're believing the Heisman, play, the Heisman winners. We're I think it's the truth, winners. yeah. We're believing the uh, – so, it's between the home run derby and the three-point contest. And I kind of tend to go with uh, – he'd be more muscle-bound, so we know his shot's the same, but I bet he can bomb a uh, ball out of a softball field. So, I'm going to say the three-point contest is, is a lie. What do you all think? What school was that at? Georgia Tech. So, both of them are at Georgia Tech. No, three-point three point champion oh. was at Southern Miss. Southern Miss. All right, yeah, I'll go three-point contest to you. We'll say that's the lie. I'll go with the derby. Nobody, All right, so nobody's taking Brian, 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 you're the break. You're the yeah, break, break point here. Tiebreaker. I'm going three-point contest is the lie. All right, so so we are going as a group as saying the three-point contest is a lie, and that you played against two Heisman Trophy yeah. winners, and that you won the Georgia Tech home run derby from a staff standpoint, but you did not win the three-point shootout contest. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. Glad we got that right, boys. Yeah. yeah we're one, we're we're one, one for, for two, two guys. guys. <laughs> uh, All right. So, who were the two Heisman trophies? Ingram? No, it was uh, Tim Tebow and Cam Newton. Cam Newton was Tebow's backup. Oh, oh nice. So, we were even, I guess, in the wrong We were team. wrong with the wrong team. Yeah. Dang, man. That's impressive. Tim yeah. Tebow. All right. Awesome. That's pretty, pretty incredible, man. We really appreciate you having you on tonight. Um, on Liars and a Gentleman. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. And now our next segment, after coming out of the interview, um, as you heard, we talked about Ben Souter's first car. And I think we can talk about our first cars uh, that we started driving when we were in high school. Mine was a, a white Jeep Wrangler that my dad fooled me into thinking would not go into fifth gear. So I drove it in fourth gear all the time. Never got over 55 in it. <laughs> and for a while, the starter went out on it. Mm. And we had, to, we had to push it and pop, I had to pop the clutch and then it would start. We went out to a fight one time way out in the nether region from. county. And there was a couple boys fighting. So, you know, we, we decided we'd go out there. I think Terrace was with me. And I think another uh, buddy yeah. of ours, PJ, was with yeah. me. Yeah, I had to push your Jeep that night. Yes. We had to get out of there because the cops were coming. And I did not have – my Jeep would not start. So, we had to – they had to push me down the road. And I popped the clutch and it came on. And then they all jumped me back. So, <laughs> uh, we made it away. Everything was good. But um, that was my first car. And I had a lot of fun in it. We had some good times in that. When uh... – 
my mom had just bought a new house and Brady, you know, we were just, I mean, we didn't do what we typically did. Just go out, drive around, hang out. <clears throat> weren't getting into any kind of trouble or anything. And I was going to show him the new house and uh, he backs out of the driveway and it was a, a new neighborhood. So, and, and because of all the grades and there wasn't any grass or anything, there was mud that had gone out into the street. There's a mailbox right behind the driveway of my, my mom's new house. And I was looking out the side of the Jeep. We had doors off, top down, all that. It was, it was a nice night in the summer. And I just looked back. I'm like, yeah, you're good. About that time, Brady, you know, puts a first gear, pops the clutch out of it, throws mud directly into my eyeball. There's no way we could do it ever again. Right into my eyeball. I wish we could have my mom on here right now because she did not believe us for anything. I had to have Brady. I couldn't see my phone, so I had to have him call my mom while I went inside the speedway and tried to wash the mud out of my eye. She thought it she was, thought we'd been drinking. I was like, Miss Vivian, yeah. I promise you, his eye was caked <laughs> over with mud all in his eyeball. And it was bad. No, I, we got home that night right around midnight, and uh, I told him, well, I can't see anything. So we, we had to go out to my grandmother's house, who was an ER nurse, and she had to flip my eyelid out, like, uh, you know, inside out. And clean the, my eye out. And there's pieces of gravel and mud and dirt and everything else under there. I mean, it, it was that was painful. So, but yeah, that that's my finest memory of that car. Taste we can go with your car now because I got a memory from your car. But go ahead. Yeah, go no, I, my memory for my car. Uh, well, <laughs> there's one that I, there's a few of them that we just probably should uh, not allow to make the airways here. The '91 Forerunner, five speed, four wheel drive. Love that car. I'll believe probably one of the scariest times in my entire life. I was driving that car though. We were uh, coming back from a going away party. It was it was at a church, so there was no drinking again going on. We were pretty good, like pretty calm natured high school kids. We, yeah, we came back and we we're getting a little close to curfew because you know I just didn't want to leave. So we took a back road. It was going to be quicker to get to, to Brady's parents' house. And this truck popped the hill, and it's called Roller Coaster Road. Uh, that that's just what the nickname is. Yeah, from all the, the townies that live in, everybody knows that's what that's called. And this guy came over the hill, and as soon as he topped it, I mean, he was three quarters of his car was in front of my car. I mean, it was almost a dead on, like, head on collision. I had probably 20 feet uh, with him closing. So I take the bank, and then there's a tree over on the right side of the road that now I'm also trying not to hit. So I come back onto the road, which is a huge shoulder, like a huge lip, and it goes and left. I'm on. Two wheels on the left side of the car, it falls back over. Two wheels on the right side of the car, two wheels on the left side of the car again, and then finally down to all, all four wheels, and I just stopped it in the middle of the road. And we all just kind of looked at each other. We were like, holy shit, we just survived that. That could have ended really, really, really poorly. But fortunately, we had somebody looking out for us that night. I, I didn't have my seatbelt on. I was in the back seat between uh, in the middle. And if we hit him head on, I would have gone through the windshield easily. I'd have been dead. Yep. Yeah, I, I'll never forget that. Um, probably the day I die. All right, boys. So if we're going to go first cars, maybe I hit the lottery on the first car. It was a 1996 Ford Explorer. Brian, you'll remember this better than oh, anybody, yeah. though. It oh, had the five-liter V8. We're talking about the same, en same engine that the Mustang GT had that year. And I'll never forget – well – there's some things we can't talk about that happened in that Explorer, but I'll never forget drag racing in the parking lot of Greenbow High School in that Explorer. Two-wheel drive, that thing, uh, I'll never forget that car. It barely topped the maroon 
Ford Explorer that you had. The maroon Ford Explorer was always 18 I, miles to empty. Always. Eight, 18 miles <laughs> empty? That's not even close. That, that, that's eight plenty of time. Empty, that's, that's plenty of time to get to uh, a gas station. No worries. Whoa. What about old Rooster, Curtis? I'll tell you what. Rooster was a legend. Man, we, we had some good times in the Red Rooster. It was a 1990 Toyota pickup, single cab. B, what'd you got? First car. First car was a uh, 1998 Chevy Malibu. Oh, one good story out of that one was one night it snowed quite a bit, and uh, me and old C. Breezy thought it was a good idea to go to a Western basketball game. My parents gave me one direction that night was to not go anywhere. But I thought, ah, going to a basketball game, no harm, no foul. You know, we're good guys. We didn't do anything wrong. So we go to a Western basketball game, made it up there just fine, come out of that basketball game, and the uh, campus police officer was directing traffic, waves me through a red light coming on, on the bypass from University Boulevard. Took that curve just a little too fast. Ran right up on that curve, and uh, I believe I damaged my axle that night on that old Malibu. Damaged your axle or broke that thing. <laughs> yep. Yep, sure did. So tell us a story about your first car. White Toyota 97 Forerunner. It's an awesome car. Limo tent. Grandma gave me $1,000 put a system in it, so it was pretty awesome. Uh, one memory from it. I remember being on the welding team in FFA. And uh, we had a welding tournament at Western, and there was no parking. So I thought it was a good idea to park right in front of the planetarium on the grass there. Got a big, nice parking ticket like the next week on it. So that was awesome. In, in, my, in our dad's car, Joe pulls up on Western's campus on the lawn in front of the building there by Thompson. Just, just jacks it up right there on the lawn and, and parks that foreigner right there. And dad gets a ticket that was like, Parked on the lawn next next to the ag building. Dad goes, what the hell were you thinking? Like, do you think you could just park in the yard now, up there? There were a row of cars parked there, so I thought it was okay. But obviously that was that was wrong. So one more story about cars. It's not a first car. I think it was a second car, Brian. I believe we're talking about a 2005, 2006 Honda Civic. If you've ever driven a go-kart and you've ever wondered about drifting a car, go right for that 2005, 2006 Honda Civic. They got, they got that e-brake, the hand e-brake right there next to the shifter. So, I mean, you, oh, it's you, right next to the shifter. Perfect. Yeah, it's not a foot e-brake. You got the hand e-brake. You know, Brian, being the trusting soul that he is, asked us to uh, take his car back to the house that we were living at. And um, it left us the keys there <clears throat> so that we could safely take his car back to our house instead of leaving it in a parking lot while he was going on a coaching trip. We, we didn't really do it safely. Let's just let's be honest. I mean, there was a little straight stretch there between our house and this restaurant. And then we, we pulled it into the, to the neighborhood. And uh, I was going to drift this thing into our driveway. So gunned it. He braked it, slid it in sideways, gunned it up the hill. That was, I mean, it, it is exactly like driving a go kart. I feel like I was on a dirt track, like I was Tony Stewart. They didn't tell you I had to replace my tires the next week. All right, so I think the moral of our all of our stories are: be safe, be careful, don't text and drive, and uh, <laughs> lay off those handbrakes, those e-brakes, all that stuff, and do not let Sea Breezy and Terrace take your car. Back to your house. That's the moral of the stories. Appreciate you listeners listening. Been a lot of fun this uh, second episode, and we hope you come back again. Mm -hmm.